Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to the Sustain Open Source Design Podcast. This is where we talk about the intersection of design and sustainability and open source. I am Georgia Bullen, and alongside me are our co-hosts, Memo Esparza and Al Fox. You want to say hello? Hello. Hello. Awesome. Thank you. Great that we're all here. We are joined today by a fantastic, exciting guest, Carrie Winfrey, the director of OK Things joining us from Lubbock, Texas, to talk to us about data analytics and a project that Carrie is working on. So welcome, Carrie. Why don't you introduce yourself and yeah, tell us like how you got into open source designs. Give us a little context and background. Sure. So hello, I'm Carrie, and I really got into open source by way of internet freedom 10 years ago. And that's probably more commonly known today as digital rights. But I came into this field of security and privacy and working with open source teams that were making tools for activists and journalists at the center. And it was at the kind of beginning of this, I don't know if you would call it the beginning of open source tech within internet freedom, but I certainly remember being in Berlin with you, Georgia at one of the first big conferences and sorting these things out about how to get design as part of the internet freedom and open source sphere. So that's been my entry point and all of the work that I've done has been through that lens of security and privacy within open source. Yeah, I would definitely, maybe not the beginning for sure, but it was definitely a big growth moment. It's hard to pinpoint beginnings of things, but I- sure. Definitely feels like a really pivotal moment and growth moment when the field was really growing. And that is how you and I met. You said 10 years and I had a moment of like, whoa, yeah. So having that be the frame, like you've been working in open source and privacy and security. I feel like that as uh, we do as well in our organization, when you're in that sort of trifecta of complicated things, <laughs> I'm curious, what do you feel are like, have been really like key challenges that you've come up against as a designer? I think the trifecta of complicated things is a very nice way of saying it. In the context of today's session, I think one of the biggest challenges over the past however many years has been designing things and shaping projects with limited vision. And this is when we start to get into thinking about metrics or how we get information about people and how things are working for people. But really up until this point, yeah, we've had some sort of limited vision, right? If we talk about growth within design and privacy and security and open source, there has been a lot of growth in our ability to access people and to talk with communities who are at risk. Having this growth of digital security trainers that have been more and more involved in the process of Making tools has been huge in so many ways. And on our products, they've been our link into communities 
our link into the frontline activists, folks on the ground that are doing the (laughs) hard stuff that we're trying to support. And yeah, we're constantly kind of looking for ways that we can build that capacity so we can work closer with community and look at other ways that we can get the perspective that we need. So you talked really broadly about how projects and entry point into the projects are through the trainers. What I'd really like to hear is if you can give like a specific example of how it's played out in a particular project, you don't have to name the project or the kind of people involved, but I would love to, and I think our listeners would love to hear, because I think we have listeners that don't really know this space particularly and might not know what is involved in actually accessing those digital security trainers in order to participate within the open source. So if you can detail roughly how that happens, I think that would be really useful. So I said digital security trainers, I would include in that group human rights organizations that are working on the ground as well. And this takes form in different ways, depending on the work and the community. So I'll, I'll give kind of one example of the stage of the process that we usually or have so far engaged with people. Circula is a really easy one to talk about, and I'll probably reference it later on the kind of metric side. Um, but in the case of Circulo, it's an app meant to support women journalists in Mexico. And we've worked with Article 19 in a close partnership with their Mexico team to host workshops with women journalists that are part of their network, they support regularly and kind of integrate as much as we can design activities and feedback prompts and opportunities within those workshops. And then to have them as much as possible engaged in kind of this iterative process of identifying needs, sorting out how tech even fits into their workflow what it looks like to kind of switch in this case, like from WhatsApp to using a different tool and why. So working with them throughout this process of forming it and building it and making it and getting it into beta and into their hands to try and then continuing to build on it from there. I think maybe that gives a little bit of context. It's organizations. There's also a lot of independent digital security trainers that have been fantastic and being involved and testing out tools and being involved in listening sessions as well. It seems like your sphere of influence in design is less about the craft and more about shaping products with different feeds of information, you know, or, or insights, like from people, from data gathering, from doing research. Can you tell us about a little bit more about that, like zooming out of the craft of designers and shape products on this level? Yeah, I feel very strongly about this having a connection to people and having a connection to the people, particularly that we say we're trying to help. And I think that the pixels are also very important, (laughs) but I would say very much driven by the people. And I think it's always refreshing to me as a designer. It's always refreshing to talk to people and think of that perspective and is always challenging. I constantly feel in a place of not really knowing what I'm doing, but maybe that's healthy. So I want us to move on to talking about clean insights and some of the metrics work that you are doing. But before we move on to that, you mentioned a phrase that was design activities. 
And I think that often when we're in company with other designers, we inherently know what design activities could mean and would mean. But can you just really quickly detail what design activities are for the people that are less familiar with what those could look like? You briefly mentioned a few when you were talking about the Women Journalist Project, but an idea of design activities would be great. Yeah, thank you. I think I threw that term out a little willy-nilly, if I could be honest. I think about this a lot. What are these design activities that you do with communities, with journalists, with activists, with people that I think everyone, anyone has different levels of comfort with creativity. Or even if you say, let's brainstorm something. I have best friends from high school that would be like, no, no, like, I don't want to do this now. (laughs) I don't want to think of ideas. It's just not their default. That's fine. And that's great. So I think when we talk about design activities, it takes different shapes. And that was probably the wrong word to use. Some of the things that we do to go back to the women journalists in Mexico, one thing that we've done is we designed a game, basically. It talks them through role-playing scenarios, but the whole purpose is to help them kind of walk through how the idea of the app and the idea that is trying to catalyze and initiate among their networks, how that would work for them, what it would look like. It's all about supporting each other and having a tight-knit group of people that you're going to ask help for or that you're going to monitor as they're going on assignments. So there's so much about that that is not really having that much to do with the app itself. Like if the concept doesn't work, if it doesn't relate the way that you're talking about it, and then the app capability doesn't support that, then it's a deal breaker. So that's one of the things I mentioned when I said design activities. But again, that's not like having a session where you're like, let's design some UI together or like, let's sketch through a workflow together. Those are some things I'm interested in doing. with. But again, yeah. Getting a feel for what people would be comfortable doing and trying. Thank you for that. That's helpful. And also just as a great point about how so much of, I think especially when, I mean, to Errol's point, when we're amongst colleagues from the same field, we don't always realize what things don't come like quote unquote naturally. It's not naturally. We practice this every day. We're this is like what we do for work. So it makes sense that it's a thing that it might come easily to us because it comes easily with that practice and isn't always the case when we're engaging with end users or communities or folks that just just not even, it's not like any given community sat down and said, you know, what we need is an app. <laughs> so we'll do X. So I'm curious to like bridging from that and talking about if you want to keep talking about this one application or this one case or however you want to approach it. A lot of what we're talking about gets into just having insights from interactions with communities around the challenges they face and things that they need to be able to achieve their goals better. At a really high level, that's a lot of what we're talking about here. And you've talked about activities to do that. You've talked about like connecting, getting user research, working with intermediaries like trainers or like organizations with expertise in an area. And I know part of what we want to talk about today is data. What can we do with data? How do we engage with data safely? So I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that if you want to start introducing some of that work that you've been doing. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Parts of our process will do, will engage at different stages. So that might be in the early stages of research and as we're forming concepts, it may be as we're like having another effort to reinvigorate 
the experience after the app has been live. We have these different types of ways that we can reach people and focused efforts. And as we've talked about, that's interviews, that's workshops. I think there's a missing piece and probably a normal digital product team doesn't think about this unless they're open source. But we have very little insight now into ongoing use or like active use, how things are playing out for people when the app is out there in the wild and you don't, you're not actively kind of working on an improvement to it. I think there's that piece of it. And this is what has been exciting for me personally. And I think for many members of our team with the clean insights work is that it gives us a step into beginning to understand how we can measure certain things within someone's experience. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it's a key, maybe just to name this point specifically with communities that are so focused on risk and threat of data. And so where privacy and security are really forefront in the principles that are brought into the the work. There's this tendency to be afraid of data or to think about instrumenting measurement in a way that wouldn't even be the case, maybe in a more, I mean, maybe it's more <laughs> the forefront of people's minds in our new sort of GDPR privacy world and California, the California privacy law as well. Like it's becoming more common conversation to dig in and question like what data and why, but typically hasn't been a thing that was even, there was no like critical question brought to like, it was more like what data can we get? How much data can we get? And that's really not true in the sort of ecosystem. It's the opposite in the ecosystem that you're describing in the internet freedom, privacy and security world. So I want to hear more about like, how are you approaching this? <laughs> what challenges are you running into? Like, it's a really interesting prompt to even just say, is it possible to approach measurement and data that can inform understanding of applications in a way that is compatible with such a like more high risk, like privacy and security conscious environment and context? Yes. And I wanted to comment on something you said earlier. I think we could probably, each of us here could say, we've been in a conversation with a team where we've heard the phrase, ah, we don't know that. We don't track anything. We don't know that. I think that's a tipping point to get into this work to understand, well, what can we know? And is there any way that we can have a better understanding? I'm reminded of, and I I think that this is open knowledge, so I feel comfortable sharing it. In fact, it's on like an open forum, but there was a point where opensourcedesign.net, the community was talking about what would it look like if we started to include metrics on our opensourcedesign.net website? And could we see what people were reading? Because we have articles and we have lots of different resources on there and we wanted to make them better. And we have jobs on the opensourcedesign.net and we actually don't know over however many years we've been running the jobs board for how useful some of the things are because we're not watching people use it and we're not asking people. So there was a, a involved and long conversation about, should we watch people? And it was really, <laughs> should we? But we want to find out these things, but, but should we? 
And I think the word should is a really, really interesting word to introduce into this conversation with measurements and insights, as well as like, can we and how do we and who essentially and to what level do we do we watch? And I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on the should we. So does that come into play when you think about like high risk folks and how do you play with or how do you have conversations with organizations or open source projects where there is this nervousness or maybe the nervousness isn't the word to use. Perhaps there's a better word that, you know, carry, but there's some uncertainty around being watched essentially. Yeah, that's a good question. I think in the way that the Clean Insights methodology has been designed, it gives a lot of flexibility. Clean Insights is a analytic solution for digital product teams to safely gather insights about their users. And it puts transparency and consent first. So in the design of the toolkit itself, it actually helps reduce some of those barriers or like some of those urges that would cause someone to be like, oh, that just like, no, no, we can't do that. No. But even in the products that I touch, I still get very nervous. We need to keep in mind who these people are and the notion of introducing any kind of metrics into an app still makes me a bit nervous. I think Nathan is our director at Guardian Project and he's really great with this stuff. And he buoys my nervousness (laughs) for sure. But I have great confidence in the toolkit itself and the SDK itself and the way that the code is designed and the way that we're approaching users. It's fantastic. I think the piece that I consider is that the associations that you make with the kind of common public may make with analytics or tracking is that you have no control, which in a lot of cases you don't. You have no control. People are just collecting data on you. You can't do anything about it. So it's like trying to divorce that from people's brains and say, well, actually there is a way that we can approach this intentionally and respectfully and in a way that makes it safe for people to participate. But it's at the other end of the spectrum. It's like the total opposite approach. You take Google Analytics and they're like, drop this line of code into your thing and you get all this stuff. And Clean Insights is, whoa, stop. Think about what you want to know. Think about the insight. What actually is it that you need to know? And then design backwards from there. Speaking about the scene, Carrie, how do you think the scene around you, you know, moving forward? I read that you mentioned some blind spots. So I'm guessing that this data gathering that we're talking about is one of them. Yes, we don't want to be intrusive, but we need to know how people are, are using our products. So just wanted to know more about these blind spots and how we can start filling out that gaps, those gaps. Sure. I think blind spots can probably occur in our lives in a lot of different ways. Certainly when we're driving. <laughs> There's a couple things on my mind about it. One is that we don't see how people use things. So we don't know. The other is there are people that we actually can't reach. There are people that our products intend to benefit that we actually cannot reach in a workshop and user research and an interview. And I would consider that a blind spot as well. One of the things that 
again, I think is exciting about the possibility of clean insights and what it can introduce is in a lot of cases, the app is how we connect with some users, maybe like a lot of them. That is the channel. So establishing some way to have communication or feedback or insight from people through that means method, through the app itself, feels powerful. It feels like it will extend our ability to actually reach people. I think that we've covered all the different steps of why Clean Insights is really important and how it might be used and what we might learn. But I think the missing piece for some of our listeners might be like, well, what do we do with it then? What do designers then do with that? And if you could give us just any example of what kind of power does it mean to give designers or tool builders that those insights? What does it enable them to do for their tools? I would actually say one of the things that will give us is momentum. It's funny because in some ways you're like, well, we don't know anything now. What if when we do know something, it's bad news? How do you reconcile that? What if it's not really what we want to see? But that's also giving us a starting point. So it's like, okay, we now have an understanding. We have some sort of understanding of this thing we're curious about. How can we now affect that? What can we do so that we can see if we can cause something to change if we want it to go up? Or maybe we don't focus our energy there anymore. Maybe we're missing something, but I think it will give us momentum. I think it will give us a starting point. I think it will give us tips into how to initiate other, I wouldn't just say research activities. I would try to like think a little more broadly into like, what else might we do, right? But I think in a lot of ways, it gives us those things. You also said data. There's this question of like, okay, there's data, there's numbers. What do you do with that? Data in itself has its own limitations. I mean, it can have its own biases. It can have its own problems. I definitely don't expect data to solve all of our problems. And I think there's a lot of interesting work that we'll be tackling as we move forward about what do we do with this data now? Or like, what does this mean? This is part of the stage that we're at with the project, getting it implemented into projects so that we can have data coming in, testing that out. So we have data coming in, we can look at it and say, what does this mean? How do we need to adapt how we're measuring so that it's more meaningful? All of those things. And consent, we haven't even started talking about consent, but that's like the entry point for a lot of these things. So what does that mean? <laughs> like, how do you design that in a way so that people want to participate and they do consent? There are tons of things. It's been said many times on our product scrums. If we were just tracking everything, it would be so much easier. Well, I think it's something I just want to pick up on that you said. I think it's really a good point is, and this came up on a project that we did throughout 2020 where one of the questions is, how do you know that the folks that, let's say you're doing user research and you're doing interviews or surveys, how do you know or contextualize that? You can do three, 10, 50 interviews if you don't know anything about how many people are even using the thing you're building, or if you don't know how that set of people relates to that, like how do you contextualize that? How do you know when it's enough? How do you assess what that information can tell you, like what the context is without more information. And what are the ways we can get at that? I think in open source projects, a lot of the opportunities we have are actually in the community participation platforms. There might be a forum. We can get a sense of how many people Mm -hmm. posted, how often. And again, 
those are insights that we can just see because of the way those tools work. But yeah, piecing that all together, it can be really challenging in a number of these fields, a number of these sort of spaces, like how to contextualize any of it. What does that mean? If you'll allow me to tell a quick story about how I view metrics, I will add to the conversation. (laughs) I won't take up too much time, I promise. So my first experience with insights and metrics was outside of the open source space. It was on an app that I was working on that was for parents monitoring kids' screen time. Ick, anyway, move on from the, the purpose of the tool. But we were doing metrics about the onboarding and there was a really clear drop-off in the onboarding for lots of different reasons. And I was able to, through metrics and also user interviews, understand that the reason that that drop-off was happening was because typically parents with kids only get about 20 minutes to maybe half an hour on average of uninterrupted time to do some (laughs) kind of technical installation on a device that required their kid's device. But the metrics wasn't going to tell us that. It will tell us, give us a clue. We had a clue that something was going on within this part of the process and that we could investigate. But without those metrics, we didn't know what part to investigate. We didn't know where to ask the questions. And I do think that that was one of the first times that I was like, ah, okay, this really makes sense. This is why we measure these things. And I remember when I went into open source, we had a similar onboarding experience that was quite complicated and technical when I was working on a crisis communication tool at Ushihidi. And it was a similar situation in the, it was onboarding for a tool, but instead of it being parents with interrupted time, it was people trying to install and use something within a crisis scenario that was like an open source tool. So I like that story about how things like Clean Insights can offer that opportunity to have those kinds of discovery moments, to have those kinds of opportunities to where you can then investigate. And what I really wanted to move into was something that you wrote, which was how it can make you a better designer. I feel like I became a better designer because I understood how to apply different learnings in different ways and where to put my attention as a designer and researcher into making the most impact. So I'd love to hear you talk more about how it can make you a better designer. Sure. Also, thank you for that story. The nerd in me got chills. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think designers have a lot of opportunity to be in a shaping role on teams. And I think each designer works in their own capacity. Each designer probably has their own perspective on what kind of influence they think they can have and what their job is. I think there's variance probably among young designers and folks that have been working for a while in regards to how much they believe they can push ideas. (laughs) But what I want to encourage designers to do is to ask more questions. And I think asking a question like, how are you understanding how you need to adapt this, your product? Or what touch points or data points help you understand if you're having the impact you intend? I think asking those questions are really powerful. And it feeds directly back into what our job as a UX person or an experience designer or strategist. Whichever camp you want to say that you do the most in or spend the most headspace in, it's going to directly affect. Because, I mean, if you're an experience designer, UX designer... You're like responsible for not just the UX and UI of the app, like you're responsible for how the whole thing fits into someone's life. So 
what we're doing goes way beyond just if I did really cool UI in UX and if this user flow is really good. We've got to think about how it fits into people's lives and we've got to know what that looks like in reality. And I think that's what makes us better designers. I feel like this is like the beginning of a conversation. And I will say, I'm really excited for folks to our listeners to listen to this episode. And I'd be curious to see, I don't know, what feedback or things we get or how folks do any outreach to you or to us about this. Because I think this is just such an emergently evolving topic, especially with all of the shifts and regulation and what that means and sort of really more product industry. But, and, and as more folks start to think about sort of risks of data and concerns of data, because that really is sort of this type of language, it's really a zeitgeist moment as a lot of this is shifting in how even in industry, we're thinking about data where like data can be dangerous. Like there's uh, data breaches are happening all the time. So there's way more conversation about this now. So I think you're right. Thank you. This has been really great. And I'm excited to see how folks react to it and want to build on this conversation. And with that, I want to shift us into our spotlight zone. And so let's see, Memo, do you want to kick us off with your spotlight? Sure. My spotlight is about a new music streaming by found that it's meant to be fair with the artists. It's called Resonate, Resonate.is. So yeah, it's really cool. Lots of community feeling all around, great audio quality. It has a great song as well. So it's open and it's design driven. I love it. I love that spotlight memo because I had a conversation, maybe we'll get into one day with somebody who said the music industry and the way that artists are paid could be, if we could make it better, the way that open source and design could be done. And I was kind of like, hmm, interesting. So maybe one day we we explore that. But my spotlight is... DraculaTheme.com. Bear with me. <laughs> DraculaTheme.com. I found it through a theme that somebody had created for Foundry VTT, which is Foundry a Virtual Tabletop. I play a lot of nerdy RPG, TTRPG games, as many of you maybe know. And somebody has made like a dark theme for Foundry. They called it Dracula. And then there are all these dark themes on DraculaTheme.com, which I just think is is quite delightful to scroll through as a goth or a former goth or recovering goth. Georgia, do you want to tell us about your spotlight? Sure. So I was going to say related to our conversation today, I wanted to point folks, I have two and a half. I I wanted to point folks to the Usable Tools Project, which is another project sort of in the internet freedom space that's focusing on to what Carrie was talking about, about connecting building feedback loops with trainers, tool teams, and at-risk communities. So uh, there's a bunch of great resources there. And as a transition into the other thing I wanted to flag, there's a, it's like spring conference season. And so I wanted to flag that. And the usable team has a call for proposals out for the UX form, which will be in April. So definitely check that out. And even sooner around the corner from that, interaction is happening next week. And another community member and I, Sage Cheng, are, and I are running a workshop. If you're going to be there, come hang out with us. And then MozFest is coming up after that Mozilla Festival. If folks are attending that or are interested, I definitely recommend it's a great event. And the link I put in is specifically a call for proposals for a session that Carrie and I and some others are organizing around looking for examples of consent. We want to see your screen grabs, send us good, bad ideas, <laughs> design work. We're really interested in creating this like 
I don't know, just like a digital exhibition of what consent looks like. Um, particularly interested in seeing things that aren't from North America and Europe because it, there's so much like interesting cultural differences here, nuances here. So it'd be really amazing to build to this like beautiful board of consent related screen grabs. So check that out. Send stuff in. Carrie, why don't you round us up? All righty. I have two. The noun project, it's been there for, I feel like in my design career since I started, it's been there the whole time. And I continue to use the noun project as much today as I did in the very beginning. I think it's fantastic. I love them. My second one is the Matrix Foundation. The Matrix Protocol is a chat protocol that we actually are building a lot of different applications on now. And I'm very thankful for them because they're great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of those. And thank you everyone for joining us today. This is a great conversation. And like I said, I think it's the start. So I look forward to future opportunities to talk more about that. Thank you, Carrie, for joining us. Thank you. 